are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kim. I invite you to journey with me to a new day. I believe God has led you to this moment and this place because he is about to bring purpose and potential to your story. So join thousands of women and men from around the globe who have discovered how powerful their stories become once Christ touches them with his purpose. Don't you long to make this same discovery? Then grab your coffee, scoot in, and join me as we let God's Word reveal how every part of your past has been preparing you for this very moment. An unprecedented mental and relational health pandemic is sweeping the globe. People are hurting and in record numbers. So what is the answer? Where is our hope? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee. You'll remember Coffee stands for Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. I'm Kim Crable, your host, and as always, delighted to be with you today. With this pandemic of pain, where can we go to be transparent about our hurts? Because according to today's guest speaker, we must first end the silence, expose the secrets, eliminate the shame, and erase the stigma of mental and relational health disorders. Here's the secret. People hurt people, but people can also heal people. We need to train and equip ministry leaders to address this crisis. This equipping is not only my passion, but is also the passion of our guest today. Julie trained and credentialed as a minister and licensed clinical psychologist, our guest is a highly regarded national and international speaker. He has authored or co-authored 10 books and has most recently served as the Director of Mental Health Care and Ministry for the American Association of Christian Counselors after serving for several years as the Director of Counseling Services that Focus on the Family. So today we're honored, so honored to have joining us Dr. Jared Pingleton. So listen, friends, I want you, you know me, you know I'll give it to you straight. I want you to lean in because he is about to unfold some of the tools and insights that can truly bring us help, health, healing, and hope to this pandemic of hurting. So welcome to our show, Dr. Jared Pingleton. Good morning. Hello, sir. Hello, Kim. Thank you for inviting me. It's a delight to be with you. Well, we are just, you know, I've read the books. We're going to get into all that. There's so much to talk about. We have so many incredible listeners. Our friends are leaning in. And I think this is probably going to be one of the most helpful shows that will be listened to over and over and over again. So lots of information to cover. But, Dr. Pingleton, I have a question for you before we even begin this. So you live in Virginia. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so you live, your your address is in Virginia. So why are you so passionate about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas City Royals, <laughs> and the University of Kansas fans? I'm confused. <laughs> sure. Well, that's because I lived most of my life in Kansas City. That's my home uh, originally, as, as is my wife's, and where we raised our four sons. So... Um, <laughs> You can you can take the boy out of Kansas City, but you can't take the barbecue out of the boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we had, I don't know how long it's been there, but if you follow them, you'll probably recognize uh, the name Ryan Suckup, who was the kicker uh, yes. for the football yes. team there. Well, Ryan was my oldest son's college roommate. They graduated from the University of South Carolina together and were best yes, he did. friends. Still are best friends, yes. Great, great Christian guy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that really caught my attention. Yes. Okay, so we know you love, you're all about sports. Um, I I understand that you, I understand you're very adventurous in your hiking. Yep. Love mountain climbing. Um, Living in Colorado for a few years uh, really got me uh, exposed to and um, really interested in hiking, and I, I just, I love it. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think God's thought- sanctuary of his nature is just the best. So um, yeah. my, my brain and soul get recharged when I'm out in the woods or on the mountain. Yeah, yeah. So, so, same here. I love, I, I'm a runner, so I love just running. I don't use headphones. I just love to hear, you know, the winds, the the leaves blowing and hear, see the everything that's going on around me. I, I soak that in. That is very restorative to me. And thirdly, one more thing that I want to talk about before we get into all this, uh, into your books, is like you are definitely a family man. Your wife and four sons, that's amazing. Correct. Yes, and four awesome daughters-in-law and uh, five adorable grandchildren. So, oh my goodness! So you stay very busy in in lots of ways. So that's exciting. We have we only had we had my husband and I had two sons, and um, so four. I can't even imagine. That's that's so much joy in all that. So and especially the grandkids. All right. Well, yeah. you know. It's important to me that people, you know, sometimes with someone like you um, and, and we see you on the platform and we see you speaking on TV and the radios and all the events, sometimes we forget that we are real people with our own struggles and things that have gone on in our lives. We have real joys. And, you know, I feel like that, that relatability is so important. And, and you are certainly relatable because of all those things you love. You just, you just um, we as Americans love, we love our sports, we love our outdoor adventures, and, of course, we love our kids. So how much more relatable could you be? <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead and get started, Dr. Pinkleton. You, um, you know, you're very accomplished. Um, you have, you know, you're a minister, you're a licensed clinical psychologist. Let me just ask you, when did all this begin in your heart? How did you know that you were positioned to, to go into this type of field? Was there something in your past? Or? Sure, it's a great question. Well, um, yeah, it, it was really a process, a journey um, that the Lord created in me. Um, I experienced uh, severe trauma as as a child when my dad, who was a deacon in the church, um, just abruptly left our home, and I was the only kid in my middle-class suburban elementary school whose parents got divorced. And the shame and stigma of that was overwhelming to me. Plus, my dad was my hero. I was nine, and I looked up to him. Uh, he was a deacon in the church, and um, mm-hmm. he moved in with his secretary. It was devastating. It was scandalous. It was horrible, and um, it was very, very mm-hmm. deeply painful to me. And so I really was very depressed and very angry. Um, I took that hurt out, uh, unfortunately, on many of my peers, um, I had seemingly a fight every other night after school. It's amazing I wasn't expelled. Um, And I never hit the other kid first because, you know, I was a Christian, right? And I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. I just made sure the other kid hit me first. Um, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. I I never started Mm -hmm. the fight with my fist, but I always ended them. And it it wasn't the size of the, the boy in the fight. It was the size of the fight in the boy. And I had a lot of fight. And so um, the Lord helped me. I, I nearly killed a kid when, um, fast forwarding three years later, I was smashing his head on the playground and um, on the pavement of, of the playground. And it took a male gym teacher, a male principal, and three other teachers to pull me off of him while mm. they took him away in an ambulance. And th- that woke me up. And so um, from that experience, I was able to kind of channel all of that pain into more adaptive and productive ways of of still trying to get a sense of self-worth and self-esteem because I felt rejected and abandoned and worthless. Um, My father told me he hated me. He he beat me. It was, it was very painful. And so Mm. all of that to say then fast forwarding, um, I always wanted to be an architect and God called me to a Christian college. that didn't have an architecture major. And it's like, okay, well, I guess that's (laughs) on the agenda. And then um, had aspirations, hopefully, to play pro football and um, uh, in, in college ball uh, hurt my back. So that wasn't going to happen. And so it's like God just gradually led me um, progressively through the process of, um, you know, having a undergrad degree in psychology, which at the end I realized, well, that's worthless. And so I've got to go to graduate school, right? <laughs> 
And mm-hmm. so got my first master's and then worked a couple of years and it's like, wow, I'm in over my head. I need more training. And so God just progressively led me then through to get um, that. And uh, um, every step of my career, uh, the Holy Spirit has just led me very clearly and very directly. And it's been a blessing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, that is a story that I didn't know, so that's very interesting to hear. Uh, I knew that there had to be some type of trauma uh, tucked in there somewhere, and I think that everything that you I, – I was just – I wrote down um, a title, When Dreams Don't Come True. I think that you need to write a book on that because everything you just mm. said was a journey, you know, like I said, yes. when dreams don't come true, when – you know, how do you handle that? But I first want to go back. I mean, gosh, you were so filled with so much anger. When did you accept Christ? I accepted Christ when I was seven. Um, I was a, okay. a very small boy, and just I was brought mm-hmm. to church when I was two weeks old and um, mm-hmm. just been a consistent believer, grew up in the faith, and uh, was very blessed and privileged for that. How much do you think that your uh, pain, as a nine-year-old, who, who can really um, – regulate that but looking back the the pain and the anger i wonder how much of that was conceived from oh but my dad is a deacon oh but we were doing everything right sure. oh we've been in church sure. you know and don't you think and and that's one of the things we're going to get to later but don't you think that that is the under the underlying theme of so much hurt today but is that i was trying and everything has just gone sour don't you agree with that? It's like we have this mentality. Again, we're going to get into this. I don't mean to be skipping, but it just seems to be the place that, you know, when we're trying to do everything right and it still blows up, that we we have this false conception that because we are trying, it's supposed to turn out the way we thought it, it's supposed to. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I don't want to be harsh on us for that expectation because we were designed exactly. for Eden. We were created for that idyllic existence, and the fall has just devastated that whole – I I like your point there about dream. Uh, It's more than dream. It was destiny. It was was our identity for which we were created. And so we're destined for heaven, but we're not there yet. And so we're suspended between Eden and heaven in a fallen world that has much suffering, pain, and heartache. Yeah. Okay, so I just changed the title of your next book, From Dreams to Destiny. (laughs) (laughs) You you write it, I'll read it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right, so so there's so much to talk about here, and I just want to lay this out as best as I could. Readers, I suggest you get on Amazon right now and and order um, first the struggle is real and and then the mental health ministry which we were talking about today so Dr. Pendleton we all feel you know just you can't hardly go to the grocery store or turn on the news that you don't you you don't feel some type of concept with the spiraling down of our nation emotionally mentally I mean and, and I mean you just you sense it even if we don't have the background, you know something is spiraling out of control. Um, and you have, right at the beginning of this book, Mental Health Ministry, you've begun to draw a picture, a, a picture statistically to us. Remind us, if you will, let's go, if you'll go through some of those statistics and, and create a, a picture of where we are, not only nationally, but globally in the spiraling down. Well, thank you. Yeah, it, it, the the pain we have collectively is overwhelming. Churches are filled with real people who have real problems that need real help. And mm-hmm. so, Kim, the, the numbers are staggering. To begin mm-hmm. with, in any, any given year, one out of four to five people suffers from a diagnosable mental illness. Think mm-hmm. about that. One out of mm-hmm. four to five people every single year suffers from a diagnosable mental illness, 50% of people over the course of their lifetimes will experience a mental health disorder. And so we've had Mm. so much shame and stigma in our culture and even in our world, as you said, where there's that sense of, well, you know, I I hide, and and we've been doing that since Genesis 3, where we then make ourselves inaccessible to healing. If you think about a toddler when they fall down and experience gravity painfully and warm red stuff starts leaking out of their knee, they cover it, mm. they hide it. 
they make themselves inaccessible to healing. And so it's instinctive, it's self-protective, but ironically, it's self-destructive because we know what happens when germs cause infection, right? And so that, that enormity of numbers of people are overwhelming. Then, then we see that one out of four to five people in the United States meet criteria for alcohol use disorder. And this is one of the major problems, I believe, in our country. When you think about the devastation and destruction that's done by alcohol misuse, and it's socially acceptable, so you know, it kind of goes under the radar, and we have a lot of humor. You know, the Super Bowl ads are always about you know alcohol, and they're the funniest and often the best, right? And then we right. have jokes. It's like, I'm not as think as you drunk I am, Ossifer. And we go, ha ha. But yet the destruction of alcohol is absolutely overwhelming. Um, I'm not sure there's any one problem that causes more devastation than that. Um, we, we see, you know, the, the thousands of people killed on the roadways every year by drunk drivers. Forty-seven cents mm-hmm. of every dollar we spend on automobile insurance, Kim, goes to pay for the damage done by drunk driving. It's outrageous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as an aside, you know, mothers against drunk drivers or irate about that but my question is where are the fathers yes <laughs> why, why don't yes. we have fathers against drunk drivers right mm-hmm. um, yes the, the number one the number one cause of college-age males is alcohol poisoning um, because it's ubiquitous mm-hmm. on college campuses um, most mm-hmm. people believe that sexual assault uh, which is epidemic on college campuses is primarily induced by alcohol and so mm-hmm. Um, when you think about not just the brain destruction, the cellular destruction in the brain that's caused by alcohol and the liver damage, which, of course, is also irreversible, not just physically, but think, take a look at adult children of alcoholics, the family dysfunction that's done, um, the physical yes. abuse, the, uh, the crime, um, the, the child mm-hmm. molestation. You know, it's tough for a pedophile, yes. I'm sure, to do what they do sober. And so mm. you can kind of excuse or blame yourself the next morning. So, oh, I was drunk. And, and yes. so this is just an enormously significant issue. Homelessness often is fueled by alcohol and other drugs. But it, we could do several, I'm sure, programs just on that issue. But yes. let's take a look at some of the other mental and relational health issues. We see 60 to 80% of adolescent and adult males use pornography on a regular basis. That addiction is the most common one in this country. And we know there's all kinds of neurological damage and relational dysfunction caused by that addiction. But wait, mm-hmm. there's more. In the last yes. few years, we were seeing now 40 to 60% of females use yes. pornography yes. regularly. Yes. So yes. this this substitute, this pain medication that's often used for loneliness and, and um, hurt and rejection um, is just devastating our, our brains. And the... Um, the number one population user group of what used to be illegal hardcore pornography is 12 to 17 year olds. And so we're seeing just an epidemic of of kids being destroyed by pornography. Well, and that right there is what is so alarming to me. I mean, I, I, of course it, it is for our adult males, and the females, that is just the way that ha- has exploded over the last few years is unbelievable. But right there, when you list that 60 to 80% of adolescent and adult males, you know, there is a target to get this into the minds yes. of our children, correct? And here's the thing. Once the image is in the mind, it stays in the mind. The image is, is so impactful. Yeah, Ed Donnerstein at UCLA years ago did a famous study about um, the neurological impact of pornographic images on brain chemistry. And what he found was Mm -hmm. norepinephrine flash fries memories onto the brain receptors in Mm -hmm. an indelible way. And so it it literally does cause a a brain uh, functionality problem. But Mm -hmm. back to your point about children, you know, we're seeing now this wokeness um, permeating our culture from you know, two and three and four-year-olds and changing their gender. But, but the perversion yes. of yes. this whole pornographic mentality to children is, is just a- absolutely disgusting and appalling. And mm-hmm. we're seeing, I mean, there's so many comments I could make about that. I don't know why um, drags are queens. I don't think they're even princesses. I don't know how they got royalty status. But anyway, right, the, right. the whole thing is bizarre. It's sick. 
but the average eight-year-old has already been exposed to online hardcore pornography. So those, those distortions and perversions of sexuality and identity are ubiquitous. And I think that's why we're seeing now all of the confusion yeah. among children with regard to their identity is because they have been pornographically abused um, by the culture. Okay, then Dr. Peterson, I have to uh, ask you, may, mm-hmm. may, I, may, I, may I please sure. interrupt you right there? Because I feel like that there needs to be a point made as to that is disturbing. Eight-year-olds are, are already exposed. Yeah. Okay, here's what we need to talk about right there. How are they getting this exposure and what, as a parent, I know I have parents listening, what as parents, where's our responsibility line is because we have to step up to the plate. Are we just handing over computers and laptops? What, why is this so uh, easily accessible for these eight-year-olds? Well, that's a great question, and it's, it's a very severe and serious one, and it is primarily, yeah. yes, through the, the Internet and accessibility mm-hmm. to that. But children are sending and receiving nude pictures of themselves um, regularly. I mean, in the average junior high school, the number one thing that kids get sexted is naked photographs of themselves or others, and they're requested to share that the same. So there's, there's just a, a universal... Uh, onslaught mm. of this as a normalized kind of thing. And, you know, mm. when, when evil and perversion is normalized, we, we have yeah. the cultural filth that we're seeing. But, but there's mm. even more. This has been mainstreamed by radical homosexual agendas to where every public school library in America has horrific books in them and then it's in the curriculum in many school districts Mm -hmm. and so we're seeing parents finally starting to take control and fight back i know that here in virginia Mm -hmm. our governor was elected on that very platform and Mm -hmm. for parents to take back control of the public school system and to speak up and push back at school board meetings to where this this filth is being normalized and mainstreamed into the, the public school systems but yeah, it's it's ter- yeah. it's terrible. It's tragic. It's everywhere. Mm, thank you for allowing me to address that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's huge. So, mm-hmm. so many other issues that we have in our culture. Twenty-five um, percent of women in the United States of America and twenty-five percent of men have had an abortion. And I resigned yeah. from the American Psychological Association in 1992 when they came out with the assertion that there's no such thing as post-abortion trauma. And so mm. that was before um, I was, you know, th- th- that was pre-email days for me. Um, so I wrote a letter to the president of the APA, and I said, help me understand this. We have always been a research-based, outcome-oriented organization. Now, what is the research stating that there is no such thing as post-abortion trauma? Because I've worked with dozens and dozens of women who have experienced that very reality. And I never heard back from him, so I haven't um, uh, paid them a penny since, and I won't until they change mm. that stance. But we know the grief and the trauma of that is huge. You won't see often yeah. those people at church on Mother's Day. Um, it's a very right. silent pain and trauma that they're grieving, and uh, yeah. often we misdiagnose post-abortion trauma as depression, as yeah. other kinds of mental health issues, but the truth is they're really grieving and they're hurting. And there's too much, again, mm. shame and stigma for them to reach out and address that loss. Uh, mm. We see 5 to 10% of the United States population abuse prescription medications. And opioid mm. addiction is now the number one problem um, that, that we have in this uh, country in terms of chemical kinds of issues. We have um, in 2021, there were over 107,000 overdose deaths, uh, overdose mm-hmm. deaths, sorry, in the United States. That's about 300 a day. And those numbers have been escalating drastically. And we're seeing now with the border situation along the southern edge of our country, the fentanyl um, implosion is just overwhelming. I, I read a report last week, Kim, that in Texas, agents confiscated enough fentanyl to kill every person in the United States, yes, just in one yes, shipment. I, I saw that and as well. So That's true. Mm-hmm. It's just tragic, and we're seeing the mental health fallout of that is enormous, which leads then to the reality also that every single day in the United States of America, 130 people kill themselves. 
Suicide is escalating. Every 11 minutes in this country, someone will kill themselves. Um, Mm. Five or six people during the course of this program are going to end their own lives, Kim. It's just tragic. Mm. Um, Tragic. A million people worldwide, Mm. uh, worldwide a million people commit suicide every year. Mm. So some Mm. relational issues. We know that over 40% of all marriages end in divorce. Um, And Mm -hmm. the irony here is we see now that 20-somethings are saying, hey, we don't be a statistic, so let's just cohabitate. And the irony there is, and you know, that um, that that doesn't work at all. I'll I'll come to that in a minute. But it kind of makes sense intuitively to say, hey, let's try before we buy, right? But here's the way cohabitation works. Hi, I don't trust you, and I'm afraid you're going to reject me. Will you live with me? Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's wow. no basis mm-hmm. of trust. There's no foundation. Right. There's no covenant and certainly no commitment. And so we exactly. think 80% of cohabitations break up, um, mm. and typically with children. We're seeing now that half of all live births in the United States are to people who are not married to one another. And, Kim, mm-hmm. we know in the mental health field how much damage and destruction there is to single-parent children. And the, mm. the reality of typically living in a fatherless home, I think that's the worst problem we have in our country, um, is fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I certainly experienced that, and I, I understand firsthand the, the devastation of that. So we, we see this just, again, normalized. Um, now, here's an issue that only in the last generation and a half or so we've been able to focus on and deal with as a, as a culture. I finished my doctoral program at the best school in the country on the left coast, very progressive. Um, and in ni- as of 1984, when I finished up, there were zero research articles about this topic and zero books written in the United States of America. And this topic is one that is so hard to deal with in the church, but it's childhood sexual trauma. One out of three girls, Kim, are sexually abused in this country before age 18, and one out of four to five boys. And we Mm. missed it prior to the Uh. mid-80s. And so what we're seeing is an epidemic of childhood sexual trauma. Mm. Mm. That that one, uh, when I was reading through this, uh, that one, I I just stopped. Can I just tell you that gave me such pause because sure. I try to stay, sure. uh, you know, abroad, uh, on top of all these, abreast of all these uh, uh, statistics. But that one took my breath away, and I immediately and and this is my my immediate thought was how is this uh, parallel to the statistics of pornography. Um, so I, I sure. wanted to ask you that question because I, I feel like that there, there has to be a connection there. But this one absolutely broke my heart. Listeners, listen to yeah. what uh, is in noted in Dr. Pingleton's uh, mental health ministry book. One of three girls, one of four uh, boys, four to six boys, are sexually abused before the age of 18. That is heartbreaking. So t- talk to us about that a little bit more please sure i'm um i'm on the board of directors of a wonderful ministry called shattered and restored um julie woodley is the um, founder and president of that ministry for uh people who have been sexually broken as children and um i've worked with thousands of people through my career um, in private practice as you know, survivors of childhood sexual trauma that are victimized. And what I call childhood sexual trauma, Kim, is raping of the soul. Mm-hmm. I think as wrong and as hard and as horrible as what happens on the outside is, I think what happens on the inside of a child is far worse because here's why. Yes. The will yes. is violated. Yes. God never violates our will. You know, Jesus will stand at the door and knock. He will never kick our door in. And children don't get to vote. They don't get to choose. And when they are violated, their will is violated. Not only is their innocence lost, and not only is their trust destroyed, because typically Mm -hmm. most pedophiles are known trusted people with the family. The myth Mm -hmm. of the dirty old man in the street corner, you know, in the raincoat is like 5% of all child molestations. 95% Mm -hmm. of child molestations are people that the child knows. And the average person takes about 100, 150 hours to groom a child before they ever touch them inappropriately to thoroughly Mm -hmm. violate their will. And so Mm -hmm. you can imagine the implications sexually and emotionally for those people in marriage to where – you know, this, this whole sense of violation of their personhood 
is destroyed, their boundaries are shattered, um, and they're now expected in marriage to have some sense of activating to where their sexuality is pleasurable. Or the other right. extreme is promiscuity. If a child is taught that's all they're good for, then they become polymorphously perverse and promiscuous, right? Because yes, right. that's what they were taught, that that's what they're mm-hmm. about, that's what they're for. So um, it, it, it takes an enormous amount of therapy for people who have been broken um, in terms of mm-hmm. childhood sexual trauma. And, and I think you're right. I think one of the gatekeepers of that is pornography. Many groomers will show pornography to children to normalize this behavior and make it acceptable and, and replicable. So it's a tool uh, to groom, and uh, it's, it's, it's diabolic. It's evil. Yes, yes, ab- absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Well, that that is something um, that listeners. I know that we are we are talking about. We're drawing a picture of the the, the shape, the the stance of the world today. But we're, there's so much hope to all this. And so, what we're going, uh, Dr. Pendleton, we're going to have to take a 30 second break. And then when we come back, we are going to um, quickly uh, just wrap this up about the the statistics of where we are and. And, and friends, I just want you to know this book is has so much in it that my hope is just to begin the conversation, and then I hope that you will. I'm certain for certain that you will purchase the book on Amazon, and then I hope that you'll invite Dr. Pingleton into your area. Or let's. I want to begin a, a conversation that really provides healing because we know, and I know it's through, and you. You all who know me and, and my my curriculum of burdens of blessings, we know that we have to we have to come from beneath the shame. We have to start speaking our pain before healing can take place. And you know that's what I'm praying begins today. Let's let's begin talking about it. Let's take the emotion away as much as possible to where we can speak what is really going on. And, you know, just like the point that Dr. Pendleton just made about. Um, so much uh, of, of maybe having an abortion or that type of um, action, it's, it's diagnosed, the pain from that is misdiagnosis, depression. or You know, what that tells you is a lot of times just the talking, spending time with someone, uh, getting to know them, it begins to take away different levels of someone's hurt, shame, regret, guilt, to where we can get down to the core of really what is hurting. And, and, and the misdiagnosis comes because we're just not taking the time to really talk to one another. And, oh, yes, we can depend on, on our professionals to do this, but we can also take it on and begin the conversation among ourselves too. And Dr. Pingleton is going to help us uh, discover some ways to do that. But, but I'm going to break right now, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to dive right back into this incredible conversation on mental Mental Health Ministry. So, Dr. Pingleton, hold on. We'll be right back. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee, Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. I'm Kim Crable. Delighted to be with you today, and joining me is our, our guest for the, for the hour, Dr. Jared Pingleton. Before we get back to him, I'd like to remind you that uh, this show is sponsored through our ministry of KimCrable.org. As a, as a counselor, it, this is my heart to really go beneath the surface and really talk about the pains of what is going on so that true healing can take place. And so join us in our effort. Go to our website. Pick up the curriculum, Burdens to Blessings, along with this incredible book, you know, there is a path to healing. There is so much hope. But here's the thing. Once God begins to heal you, you become a voice of hope. And it, it becomes then our responsibility to comfort others with the same comfort in which God has given to us. There are lots of people out there who are hurting. And, and Dr. Pingleton is giving us the statistics. He's drawing a picture. And what this is telling me is I bet that you can't walk 
into your grocery store or into your laundromat or to your child's school today or your grandchild's classroom and not be rubbing elbows with people who are desperately in hurt, hurting and in pain. And, friends, we have so much to offer them. And so, Dr. Pingleton, let's, let's begin. Uh, let's get back and talking about this. We've drawn a pretty good picture. I mean, it's just it's devastating to hear all the things uh, that we could continue on uh, with, the, with the, just the statistics. Nearly 2,000 children are abused or neglected every day in the U.S., um, 24 people per minute are victims of domestic violence, and you know, and so many of the, the uh, so, ma- so many of the things that we're talking about today are, are are reviving memories of my past, and that's why I got into the field that I'm in. It's because so when you when you have been hurt so badly, or you've felt that pain so badly. And it's almost like it's the woman at the well, you know, and then once you see Jesus eye to eye and you you see his healing, you see how he can heal you, but you also know there's no magic wand, right, Dr. Pendleton? There's lots of steps. There's a lot of work for us to do. And so many times we think that as believers – we just and you you talk about this in your book. You talk about that we just think, oh well, we'll just pray it, pray for it until it's okay. Well, prayer is a good thing, but we have to put legs to those prayers. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about why it's important that we do the hard work. That there are steps involved. That we can't just pray issues away. Well, sure, and I think that's a that's a unfortunately controversial issue in some sectors of the church still where mental health issues are not given the same sense of credence or viability as, as maybe physical problems. But I, I'm, I'm often struck when I encounter resistance to this issue, I, I will say to a, a person, sometimes even a, a colleague, a pastor who will say, well, you know, we should just pray more, read the Bible more, or those people just should come to church more or whatever. And it's like, well, do we tell people with cancer not to take their chemo? They just have weak faith. Do we tell Mm -hmm. people with diabetes that they shouldn't take their insulin? They should just read the Bible more. Do we tell people with myopia to throw away their glasses or contacts because they're having an immature faith? Of course not. That's ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And yet Mm -hmm. we do the same thing, though, with mental and relational health issues. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. In your book, you talk about being um, the the difference between being called a Christian and Christ-like. Would you like to explain that a little bit? Sure. I've got a soapbox. I love it. Well, I've got several. But I think often, um, now, I ain't never been no good at grammar, right? But um, <laughs> but, but I, think, I think we use the word Christian as an adjective. And I think biblically, yeah. the word Christian should be an adverb. An adjective mm. describes a noun, an adverb empowers an action word, a verb. And so when you think about the, the term itself etymologically, the word Christ hyphen like, I-A-N means like. When you put the suffix mm. I-A-N at the end of a word, it means it's you're like whatever the preceding word is. And so um, the word Christian is how it should be pronounced. And the syntax is awkward, but it actually means a Christ-like. And so I think one of the ways we can think about this differently is to say to yourself, when next time you introduce yourself, hi, I am a Mm Christ-like. And if that doesn't convict us, if the Holy Spirit doesn't use that to say, well, not last night when you were fighting with your spouse, you weren't Mm -hmm. acting like Christ, or when you cut that driver off this morning on the freeway on the way to work (laughs) um, to to serve Jesus as a Christian minister, is that (laughs) Christ-like? And so mm. to me, I think we ought to really look differently at how we use the word Christian. We mm. have Christian radio. We have Christian bookstores. We have Christian. How about if we thought of radio that does its work Christianly, right? Because an mm. adverb uses the word L-Y often to signify the action. Do we live our lives Christianly? And I think if mm. we did that would really change not our, only our identity and purpose, but really our actions and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it goes back to really a self-evaluation, doesn't it, which is really where it all began. So it's like, am I really yeah. doing and being what, what who Christ is? And because we are called to be his ambassadors. Okay, so, right. oh, my goodness. 
I'm looking at this book thinking about where I want to go next. And I, we, the, the next part of this are the symptoms of the struggle. And, and readers, I mean listeners, we don't have time to go, but uh, Dr. Pingleton goes into the key indicators of mental health issues. Um, it's a list. And let's just talk about the list. I know that you say in here, okay, please know that all these symptoms of themselves are not, you know, are not, we're not trying to evaluate people. But, but why is it so important for us to know how to, um, how to, how to spot these symptoms in, in people? Dr. Pendleton, how does that, how does that help sure. us as believers? Well, I was wanting the, the end user um, to, in, in the church that isn't trained as a mental health uh, professional to be able to understand the people that they're serving and the individuals with whom they come in contact. And just to kind of have an alert, a heads up to say, hey, here are some hallmarks and indicators when people are yes. struggling that maybe we could identify that there's something else going on down deep that maybe even mm-hmm. that person themselves is unaware of, but are, are clear um, symptoms of, of when they're hurting. And, and even for those who are trained, um, I, I cite an anecdote in there where Dr. Carl Menninger, uh, who famously uh, founded the most um, uh, reputable inpatient mental health facility in American history, the Menninger Clinic, and he founded actually the VA system in the United, for the United States government, not just psychiatrically, yeah. but medically. He founded the entire VA system. And um, he was 93 when I did my postdoc residency with him at the VA that he founded in Topeka, Kansas. And he came in um, weekly to give uh, supervision to us residents. And I remember one statement he made, we cannot accurately diagnose, excuse me, we cannot accurately treat that which we have not correctly diagnosed. And Mm -hmm. that's just so common sense. That's wisdom. So I was just putting these uh, bullet point indicators of things to look Mm -hmm. for. If you're leading a Bible study, not just pastoring a church, but if you're, you know, serving in a, uh, a Sunday school or a support group or a small group in your home, and you're noticing somebody that's, you know, having a lot of these kinds of symptoms, it's a good way to say, hey, here are possibly some things to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to realize that, hey, this may just be over my head. I need to uh, help them find some help outside this, this group. I, I, that is so important for us to be able to um, to acknowledge and see. Okay, so we have about 20 minutes left in our program. So I want to get to, I want to, get to the hopeful side of this, some of the solutions, some of the things that you offer, what we can do as believers. I loved um, scooting on over, and, and listeners, I, I must apologize that I can't get through all this book. And, again, I didn't intend to get through this book. I intend to, to have uh, began a conversation. So it is up to you to purchase this book and dive into it, and I would suggest that you, uh, you do that because it is filled with so much that we can do. One of the things that I love, that one of the stories that you brought out, um, uh, Dr. Pingleton, is it's quickly uh, in your book because it's, uh, it has some, your book is just filled with so many resources. But if you go over to page 56, you start talking about someone who was dealing with a lot, who had been very successful in his ministry, and life was just, I mean, it was, a, a, you know, he was on, top, on the mountaintop, but we see a spiral down quickly. His name is Elijah, and there's some very, I love the practicality of God's scripture, the practicality of life. Well, he had some practical um, uh, solutions there. Will you talk to us about him for a bit and how that, how that uh, is relevant in our lives today? Sure. I've had the privilege of standing actually on that mountaintop where mm-hmm. uh, Elijah experienced this enormous event where he was um, ridiculing the, the gods of Baal and the Baal worshipers mm-hmm. to have a contest as to, you know, mm-hmm. is, is Jehovah or Baal going to consume a sacrifice? And so mm-hmm. um, it, it was a really interesting setting. And so, you know, he says to these guys, hey, maybe he's asleep. Yell louder. Maybe it'll wake him up. Or perhaps he's taking a break or on vacation, so we'll wait. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's just having a blast ridiculing and mm-hmm. trash-talking, basically, these yes. Baal prophets. 
And then he says, okay, God's turn, and he has guys go down the hill, and it's a big hill uh, to get water. You know, there's no water on a mountaintop. And so um, then all of those trenches he had dug to fill with water, that had to take a while. And that water is eight pounds a gallon. That was heavy uh, to get up the mountain. So I'm impressed by those silly details. But then God knew the sacrifice. (laughs) God knew the sacrifice. Uh, God zaps up all the water. And then often it's overlooked in the story, Elijah, I mean, he's not only got an adrenaline rush and high from that, he then kills all of the 400 prophets of Baal, or 420, Mm -hmm. I can't remember. But um, to do that, that takes a lot of strength and energy. I mean, just again, sorry for gory details, but my little brain likes to figure (laughs) out the logistics of that. Um, (laughs) So um, he's... uh, He's got a lot of energy expended, right, uh, to, to yeah. thrust and parry with a sword that many people to run them through and to avoid all of their swords. I'm sure they just didn't line up passively and say, sure, go ahead and run me through. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he was undefeated. If, if you're 399 and 1, you're still dead, right? So he's 400 and 0. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, and then, then that hacks off the queen, right? And so Jezebel and Ahab, they, in a chariot, chase him he runs 40 miles after that event he runs 40 miles and then the next day hmm yeah after the adrenaline dump and his physical exhaustion he's suicidally depressed and often i think that's a lesson in ministry of how we can get so burdened and burned out that we then allow the adversary to distract and defeat us yes yes so what he needed yeah. was rest and restoration, and, and of course God and angels did that. So, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that does several things. It, it normalizes suicidality. You know, I mean, it's not a sin to be tempted. Uh, it's not a sin to struggle. We're all broken. We all struggle. We're all damaged. We're all scarred. And 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 I, what I thought too, I, I love that story, and I think it speaks to all of us who are, you know. You're trying, you know, as a father. You're trying as your as a mom. You're trying as a Sunday school teacher. You're trying as that office manager, you know. And you've had so many victories, you, and so many successes. You're you're great as a pastor. You're doing, and you see all these great things, but how, but that does not ensure what what is going to happen tomorrow. And I feel like that is such a huge process in what we're talking about in mental health is that we don't stay on the mountaintop, so we have to be prepared for the struggles, for the strife, for the trials and tribulations that that God has already promised that we would have. We've got to find a way to take heart. And Dr. Pingleton, one of the things that I love so much is when the angel of the Lord came to him, he didn't say, okay, get up and start, continue ministering. What, what, were some, what were the ways that Elijah was restored? Well, he was given permission and, you know, to hurt and normalize yeah. to say, hey, you need to take a break. And I think many yeah. times um, – Servants of, of the Lord and, and even especially Christian leaders feel a sense of guilt uh, for yes. taking time for themselves to recharge their batteries. You know, we cannot give that which we do not have. He was depleted. Yes. He yes. did the work of the Lord. He enacted an enormous victory. And the exhilaration of that even itself is exhausting. And so um, often pastors, for example, have an adrenaline dump on Monday morning and they're depressed. Because yes. particularly if they have a successful Sunday, right? And mm-hmm. so they need time uh, and rest and restoration and recreation and um, mm-hmm. all of those rebuilding words. Um, they they need to be able to care for themselves. Absolutely. And and listeners, if you'd like to go and read that, I love that. You know, the first thing he says to him, get up and eat. <laughs> you, know, you know, eat, right. take care of yourself. Go get that, that ice cream cone. Go get that, you know, eat, eat that, <laughs> that, you know, be happy. Do something for yourself. You know, uh, one of the things that you said there, uh, Dr. Pingleton, that I use quite often, you can't give what you don't have. And then I turn that right. around and, and I say, but you do give what you do have. And if it's exhaustion, mm-hmm. if it, if it's resentment, mm-hmm. if it's pain, right. uh, you know, you are you are going to give that. Okay, so you list three things that we can use to begin um, to help others and ourselves. Uh, courage, all C words, courage, community, and commitment. 
could you take just a minute and be- begin speaking? So listeners, we're going to start turning this around on how we can begin to take our stand in hope and, and truly make a difference. So Dr. Pendleton, talk to us about that, courage, community, and um, and commitment. Well, we start off actually with compassion um, in, in the book. Oh. And, and I think what, what compassion does is it's um, – I think these are all four expressions of love, which is what we're called in the body of Christ to be love uh-huh. and not okay. just to do love, but to be love, to exude love. And I think the four expressions of Christianity, Christ-likeness that Jesus uh-huh. showed in his life and is love in action. And I think these four action words – um, really help us be able to land how to be Jesus' feet and hands and so on to, to others who are hurting. And the first is compassion. I think compassion mm-hmm. is love as empathy. Um, to, again, mm-hmm. break the word down, the prefix come means with, the suffix passion means deep feeling. When we interact with people with deep feeling, that empathy, that caring, it ends the silence, and, and that is so important. It, it, we listen. And listening is a priceless gift. We can't express compassion without listening to a person's pain. And so I love your whole idea about your program and your show of conversation, starting that discussion. Talking about our problems acknowledges and validates the reality of a person's pain. There's nothing Mm -hmm. more healing than than empathy and compassion. Um, Then that leads next to, to community. When we interact with other people, to me, that's an expression of love as relationship. And really, that's what um, a healing relationship is all about. Um, and, and I would encourage your listeners, well, I'm not a trained therapist. Don't be discouraged by that. Research shows mm-hmm. that trained lay counselors in an average church are 90% as effective as somebody with 10 years of doctoral training, like myself. Mm -hmm. Um, 90% is effective when we appropriate biblical principles such as these. So this, um, in a relationship that exposes the secrecy, you know, we're not hiding anymore. (laughs) Why? Because we're connected to someone else. And so life is relational. We we have to be able to trust to do that and it has to be safe. And so that's why we have to cultivate empathy and compassion first. Then I think thirdly, counseling is the expression of love as discipleship. You know, we're not called in the church to make converts. And I know a lot of people find that controversial, but the Bible never once tells us to make converts. It tells us to make disciples. See, it's easy to create babies, right? Um, What's Mm -hmm. hard is to, to nurture those children through maturity and adulthood, which is what the Bible encourages us to do. And so um, in, in counseling that erases the shame. Our, our shame is so, um, so excruciating, and, and we are often um, just held back in our relationships by humiliation. And, and what love does is it, it redeems and transforms, and it just erases shame. And then finally, mm-hmm. I think to face mental health issues, Kim, we have to have courage. It does. It takes guts. Um, yes. Because love is an action. And, mm-hmm. and love, if it's not expressed in action behaviorally, we could argue, does it even happen, right? Um, because love is not a theory. It's got to be landed. And I think when we appropriate caring for another person's pain, and it might just be a listening ear. It might be a kind gesture. It might be saying, hey, can we go for a walk? Or you want to meet for, for coffee um, and pie, you know, Christian drugs, sugar and caffeine, right? Um, <laughs> that, that sense of reaching out is so important, um, Because fear paralyzes us, Kim. Fear causes us to close up and shut up. Courage emboldens us to stand up and speak up. Mm. And that eliminates the stigma. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in some of the workshops that I do, being able to uh, use visuals and different things, different ways for us to be able to begin to expose um, the the secrets because it's in the secrets is where shame really can develop, isn't mm-hmm. it? And shame is what mm-hmm. makes us feel, you know, tells us that we're bad and we're mistakes. And oh gosh, for years and years and years, 
that was that's how I felt. And and you know when you don't when you don't realize who you are in Christ, when you don't when you sit on the spiritual sofa, knowing that you have the relationship with Christ, and you're just waiting, it's like Lord, just make me okay, make me okay. You know, and not understanding that there are He's He's laid out His path to healing in His book, and He's 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 brought together you know people He's trained to help you, and and I just feel like. Um, Dr. Pingleton, it's just for, for those who are listening today to understand that um, they're not alone and that mm-hmm. all of these things that you just said are, are, are truly, you know, God did not tell us. He didn't set us up for failure, and our hurting and our pain can be healed. But there's there's so much more in your book that they need to read. Let me just ask you, you know, we have about six minutes left. Let's just go off chart here, and, and I want you to um, – Think about the, the many people who are listening who are just are feeling very hopeless, and they're, they've listened to this, and they're going, yeah, right, well, that happens. You know, all these things you're talking about, I'm one of those statistics. I, I No one really understands the depth of my pain. If I were to share what I've done or what's happened to me, I would lose all cre- credibility or people would, would reject me. I mean, there's so many thoughts, you know, how many, what, we have on mm-hmm. average 45,000 thoughts per day uh, on an average it's more like 8,000 but anyway uh, how could we how would you what words would you use right now to send them hope and to help them to understand uh, there is there is healing out there well that that is so important and I think one thing we must emphasize in the church Kim is that the ground at the foot of the cross is level all of us have sinned and fallen short of glorifying God. And that's yeah. not about our shame, but it's about the realization that we need a redeemer. We need a savior. And, and I think, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've set across from thousands of people over the years who are broken, who are devastated, who are wounded, who are abused, who are ashamed. And we know from recovery nomenclature that we're only as sick as our secrets. And yeah. it does take courage to share and open up, but we need to be able to strive to become a safe person so that others can open up to us because it isn't giving often that we receive, right? And so yeah. how, finding a safe place is a crucial thing. And that's what the church mm-hmm. is supposed to be, is a safe place. And unfortunately, there are far too many people who've got church hurt and have been spiritually abused. We need to find a safe place, a safe church. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we need to be able to um, involve ourselves without uh, a sense of shame and stigma. And so I think the key there often is understanding that Jesus delights in transforming blessings out of our brokenness. Yes. Yes. And he can, you know, I mean, not, he delights and he can, and there's nothing too large or too small that he's not willing to step into. Uh, but Dr. Pingleton, I also, you know, one of the things that I always stress, and I think it's so important now that we're down to two minutes, but one thing is that when God begins to work in our lives, we can't be silent about it. We must start speaking what God is doing so that we become a voice of hope to others, that authenticity and what God is doing. Don't you agree that we, we have a great platform to when God yes. does something in our lives? We do. And that's when in John 9, the man who was born blind, he says, oh, I don't know any yeah. of this theological stuff. All I know is my yeah. eyes didn't used to work, and now they do. Would you like yeah. to meet him too? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and that's exactly. sharing story, sharing our story. Sharing out, finding the power, Burdens of Blessings is my first book, and it's discovering the power of your story. We all have powerful mm-hmm. stories, and, and I, I love that. Okay, Dr. Pangolin, I cannot thank you enough. Let me, before we end here, how can people reach you? I know that they get your books, um, all 10 of them, on Amazon, but how do they reach you to perhaps come onto their radio show or come to their church to speak or to begin the dynamics of the programs, the, the teachings that you have in place that really can help the churches and pastors around the world. I appreciate that, Kim. My website, drpingleton.com, D-R-P-I-N-G-L-E-T-O-N.com, has uh, ways to contact me or arrange speaking, but also my books are at a discount there. Um, so okay. I can uh, I can make that available. Um, and so 
love to be able to interact with people as, as they choose. Absolutely. Pastors, you know, especially if you want to just talk to you for a minute, you know, you have a, a, a huge load on your shoulders. And uh, I, I know I work with a lot of pastors and you are hurting uh, silently. You know, this is someone you could reach out to. Let's, let's step beyond the emotion of embarrassment or feeling less than or I should be able to handle all this. No, it's too big. It's too big for any of us. That's one of the situations, uh, one of the circumstances that Dr. Pingleton talks about when we try to be a lone ranger in all this. Step out. You've got, you've got a resource here in Dr. Jared Pingleton. Order his books, read it, reach out to him. Let's, let's together, America, friends, let's, let's begin to be, yes, we, we've hurt one another, but we can also get in the process of with Christ at work within us, his power, we can begin to use ourselves to heal one another as well. I truly believe that. I see it every day. Dr. Pingleton, thank you so much. Promise me. No, I'm not even going to say that, but I hope one day you'll come back and spend another hour with us so that we can get past maybe page 20 of this book. (laughs) (laughs) I would be delighted. Thank you so much, Kim, for the opportunity and uh, the, the blessing to be able to share with you and your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, uh, Mental Health Ministry, Dr. Jared Pingleton. Look it up. Get your book. Go to his website. And I look forward to having another conversation with you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, Dr. Pingleton. Bye-bye. Bye. To learn more about Kim's books, teaching materials, or to invite Kim to speak at your event, please visit org. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, to learn more, please visit KimCrable.org.